Welcome to another episode of Forward Talks. I'm Tatiana Antonelli. Today on the show, we're running one of our first episodes on food security. I'm joined by Abdulaziz Almullah, the founder and CEO of Madar Farms, who talked to us about the realities of water consumption and its effect on food security, how they're handling this imbalance, as well as helping educate the masses about the problem. Abdulaziz is originally from Kuwait and started out in the corporate world after his MBA. But the more he worked on projects, he was confronted with a terrifying reality that while 1% of our land is farmland, more than 80% of our water consumption goes to agriculture. So our generation will be faced with the real possibility of running out of water. This led him to leave his corporate role and after a few months of research, He founded Madar Farms in 2017, where they focus on using controlled environment agriculture methods, such as hydroponics, to conserve water while ensuring a healthy production of vegetables. Three years ago when we started, we were literally in a patch of sand, uh, you know, out in the, a little bit of the desert area in Dubai, and, uh, and it was just me and a few other guys. And, you know, it's, it's incredible to see how far the team has been able to take this and how far having a message and a vision that is aligned with what we need, how far that, that can really take us. Um, and we've been doing this for a very long time before people were super focused on it. And I think it's such a blessing now that um, we've been supported by the uh, Abu Dhabi Investment Office um, in terms of uh, really being able to create this region as a center of excellence. Um, there is no gold standard. There is no Netflix or Google of the space. You know, it's, it's brand new. And we're in a region of greatest need. It provides an opportunity for us to also be global leaders. And uh, the investment from the Investment Office has really allowed us to kind of widen the scope of what we're able to do, but also accelerate the timeline. Uh, I think the focus on the situation now and having people um, really care about this and not needing to do the kind of uphill battle and raising the awareness that might otherwise be um, it's provided this golden opportunity for us to scale out. So, um, you know, we're growing right now and we have our R&D center in Mustard, but um, actually what we're starting construction on, we actually started uh, drilling uh, uh, last week, uh, super excited, um, is we're building the world's uh, first uh, indoor farm uh, growing tomatoes. Um, and it's so incredibly exciting because we're doing, it's the first time it's ever been done. And it's here in the UAE, it's uh, you know being built by us, it's being grown by us. And soon we're going to have that in the hands of the community. And it's just, you know, it's really, it's just the start. Uh, our first facility is only 10% of what we hope to grow to. Uh, that's the land that we have. And uh, hopefully we'll have way more exciting and larger scale messages coming. It really is just the start. This is amazing. I mean, just to put things into perspective for uh, our listeners, um, recently the, the Abu Dhabi Investment Office invested uh, $100 million dollars to bring um, different technologies related to, to agriculture. So we're talking about agri-tech. And this is just the first part. Apparently, they're, they're going to invest another $100 million dollars on a second stage. And you were one of the four... Uh, companies uh, chosen for this investment? You know, uh, I think, um, first of all, the problem is a global one, um, whether that's food production and our food resiliency systems. Um, you know, people are only increasing and our system is not keeping pace with it. The kind of gap between what we're able to grow and what we need is increasing. Here in the region, just the production methods are, are so constricted by our environmental factors 
that it really spurred this need and spurred innovation um, to really be local here. And I think with a public sector that is so engaged and so forward-looking, combining that with the kind of pressing need um, is, is just, a, it, it really is a golden opportunity and one that we're blessed to be here and blessed to have that kind of support. But I think most importantly is physically being here, we're able to actually touch base with the community. So our work, for example, in the education space, we've designed a program called Sustainable Futures, and it's a couple hundred pages long with all the kind of lesson plans and, and content. And we've written that ourselves to be customized for the UAE. Um, so examples are local, are relatable. The exercises are practical. Kids get to farm in schools inside, um, and they get to see something that they really haven't experienced before. It's interesting that you speak about uh, students in schools because somehow uh, in recent years, it's really clear that uh, the youth doesn't have any idea what farming is. And uh, when uh, ourselves, we go and plant trees uh, with the children, many don't really dare to touch the soil. Um, they're, <laughs> somehow they feel it's dirt and it's dirty. Yeah. Um, but the moment they do, that's where there is actually that sparkle. And, uh, and definitely, I think it's amazing for them to experience how to grow food and, and, and how this is essential for their future. Tatiana, you ask your kids today, for example, and you tell them, you know, where does our food come from? And they're going to probably name a supermarket, right? Um, that's kind of the average response you get. And just to see, as you say, that sparkle, that kind of light bulb go off for them. For them to feel like something that they touched, that they planted, is growing in front of them, but that they're able to take that to eat it, to nourish themselves, that kind of hand bond that's there, that leaves such a lasting impression that we really hope that we're able to kind of change mindsets and hearts. What about the, the water consumption? Because you, you really stress on the importance of, of this technology helping to manage water in a more sustainable way. Do you have figures? to understand where is the advantage of, of hydroponics? Yeah. So typically hydroponics, uh, because we grow in water, not soil. And so what happens is, just think about this anecdotally. When you're planting your trees and when you're watering, you're not watering the tree itself. You're watering the soil or the land that's around it. And that is so inefficient, especially as the roots have to grow out to find that water. By growing directly in the water, the roots are only taking up exactly what they need. The nutrients that they need are inside that water. And so it's a much more efficient uptake. But more importantly, when they're done kind of feeding and they've got their stomachs full and they're thinking, oh, I just want to watch Netflix now. You know, we take that water and that doesn't get thrown away. That gets cleaned out. That gets recycled and we reuse that water. And with all the kind of uh, advances that we have now, we were able to do that with such specific, specific oh my God, uh, such accurate, such accuracy there that um, we're able to give the plants exactly what they need, no more and no less. Um, so that allows us to drive up our water sustainability a lot more. But there's other things we do like reverse osmosis where we're absorbing the humidity, we're turning it into water and we're reusing it. Um, and uh, just combining all those different approaches, we're able to conserve 98% of water versus a conventional farm. So just to put that in context, um, if we what we produce with, say, 40 liters, we're probably looking at about 4,800, 4,900 liters of water at a conventional farm. That's not a small amount of water. 
another thing that you're talking about right now, which is interesting, is the roots take only what they need from the water. Um, I've heard so many people, you know, different opinions saying that then it's not the same nutritional content of food produced through hydroponics compared to other farming farming methods. Can you explain that the reality of this? Because I think this is a myth, an urban legend where we think that the food is not the same and all the same quality. Sure, let me do you one better, all right? Uh, There's a story that I like to share. And uh, let's just do this thought experiment where we've got three kids. They're all born, they're triplets. They're all born at the same time. And just imagine kind of kid number one now he's the problem child, all right? This is the kid that doesn't listen to anything you say, that, you know, you tell, please go to sleep at, you know, in the evening, and they're up until three or four in the morning screaming all the time, you know. You know, you get, try to get them to eat right, but let's face it, they're, they've got Cheetos stuffed in their drawers when you're not looking, right? That's kind of your outdoor farm, you know. You're trying to do the best with what you've got, but it really is kind of a, a best effort basis. Then you've got your kind of middle child, and he or she is, think of them as more the greenhouse approach, where you've got this, uh, a little bit of structure. You tell them to go to sleep at 8. They won't really go to sleep at 8. They kind of go to sleep 7, 8, 9, 10. But, you know, they're generally there in the range. Now, it takes a lot more time, and you've got to know what you're doing, but you've kind of got that 80-20 result, um, and you're able to do a lot more with that kid. And that's kind of your greenhouses and, and your production methods that we see in places like Holland. And then you've got kid number C. Um, now, kid number C, we all know doesn't exist. He's, he or she's like a robot, right? Um, and they will go to sleep at exactly 8, 17 p.m. They will eat exactly the right split of protein, carbs, fats, you know? Uh, and they will do everything that's needed to be done. Your kind of time investment, uh, amount of effort you put in is a lot more, but the results you get back is obviously a lot higher as well. We like to think of our farming in that way because we get to tell the plants exactly when to sleep. And over time and with our research, we know what the optimal amount of sleep is. We know what the optimal kind of diet for them is. And that's what the technology allows us to do. And you're absolutely right. The nutrition is not uh, comparable to the other methods because with the way we do it, there's actually a lot higher nutritional nutrition concentration on a per plant or per biomass uh, basis because they're think of it again as the kids by the time all those kids are 10 years old kid number c is going to be more developed is going to have a physically bigger body and a better running brain because of the nutrition because of the good habits and we think of our plants in that way Uh, we give them what they need in order to optimize their growth and really kind of unlock the best of nature Uh, you know one thing we always say is we take the guesswork out of growing I'm trying to figure out my kids what they are, A, B, or C. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, I think if we leave kids C outside the realm of, uh, of choice, we'll be very happy with, uh, with what we've got. <laughs> um, no, that was a very good um, way of explaining it, explaining it and uh, it, it does make sense. Another myth that people uh, uh, try to, you know, put forward is that uh, this is not comparable with organic food? Uh, I, uh, it's probably the question we get asked the most. And before I answer, let me just outline what organic means, right? Organic, the, the actual term only means growing in, in animal fecal matter, right? Where, where, the, where the, the soil itself is produced by nature, if you will. Um, 
It doesn't actually mean that you're not using any insecticides, pesticides, or chemicals. It just puts an upper limit on how much of that that you can actually use and how you're getting to the source of that. In, in addition, um, because of how global our food supply chain is, organic in one country or one kind of regulatory jurisdiction is very different from in another place. And Tatiana, I mean, you're from the Eurozone, and I'm sure that, say, what you're seeing in different parts of Italy and how they perceive and how they grow is different from other parts in the same country itself. Kind of magnify that onto a global basis. And so the word organic itself is, is a loaded term because there is no single definition depending on where you are. Um, to be organic in, in the UAE, you actually have to grow in that soil. Growing hydroponically through water means you can certify as organic. Um, but what we've seen the government do, and we've been working alongside the public sector in terms of being a thought partner and helping them understand what the biggest needs are and how to create the biggest change. You know, people today now realize that local is a lot more important than kind of your traditional assumptions of where vegetables are coming from. But sustainable growing, sustainable growth, something that can last uh, over time is, I think, a key factor here. Um, I would actually add on to that what we've seen our kind of international uh, counterparts do is label as better than organic or organic 2.0 because when we grow the way we do, we don't actually use any pesticides. We don't use any preservatives in our transport. We don't use any insecticides. And so by eliminating that entire group of uh, kind of external chemicals that aren't natural to the plant, we're able to grow a much higher quality uh, product. And so, you know, we're proud to not be certified as organic. And I think what's important is that we take a key role in educating the community on what does that mean? What is better? How do you eat better? And how do we make it accessible for everyone? You know, it's really the theme even of these questions that you're asking is around lack of awareness or lack of understanding. And that's where we see ourselves playing a key role in the community engagement events that we do and the curriculum that we put out there and our work with the public sector and raising the level of understanding. Talking about this curriculum, can you tell us more? Because I, from what I understood, you're actually offering to go into schools and and give a proper series of of uh, of talks and and lessons on agriculture and on how to grow food. When we started, it really was just a few of us out in the desert and really trying to find the kind of support that's needed to push this forward. We realized there was a massive vacuum. Uh, in terms of knowledge that was available. Everybody wanted to help. Everybody kind of rallied around this message of, we need to make our communities more resilient. We need to make our communities more aware. But how do we go about doing that? Realize that's something that we had to take on a leadership role in addressing. And so it really started where we found an early champion school that worked with us. And we actually originally installed a whole shipping container with a farm inside. And quickly discovered that giving that to kids was not the best idea, you know. <laughs> um, so we went away, kind of put our thinking caps on, and uh, we developed a whole curriculum, which is organized in a modular way. So we have about six modules in which schools can kind of mix and match, can choose when to do it, whether that's integrated into their classroom activities, whether that's an after-school thing. We get these tiny modular farms that can be picked up, you know, and, and moved to a classroom. And the kids, there's a module where the kids themselves actually do the growing, learn how to grow, run their own little experiments that we've kind of also done internally, but give them an example, a context, something to get their hands, 
physically involved with. And so we've launched them now in schools in Dubai, um, in four schools. And over the next few years, we're actually widening the deployment of that. When we teach uh, students about growing food, but also when you are looking at the expansion of your business, right now you're focusing on, on tomatoes, but what else are you going to grow? What is applicable to this region and to the conditions here? Absolutely. So uh, again, I'll answer that by taking a step back and really looking at what are our needs, right? Um, the UAE's published 18 critical food items as part of its food security strategy of things that it needs to grow if it's to have a food resilient system. The answer is we can grow anything, but what can we grow that's commercially viable? Um, because price accessibility is a key part of our offering. What can we grow that there's a gap in the market? But also, what can we grow that has some sort of differentiating factor? So I'll give you an example. Uh, onions, right? Um, whether it's a good quality onion or a bad quality onion, um, how it's grown, that quality differentiating factor is quite minimal. But if you look at a tomato or if you look at a strawberry, for example, having a good or a bad one, there's a massive difference in the taste and the shelf life and the appearance and therefore whether people are going to be consuming it regularly and helping us move shift away from that import-based food system, shift away from unsustainable growing methods. And so we're right now growing microgreens. Um, we're expanding into the world's uh, first uh, indoor farm using LED lights for tomatoes. But what's coming next is a much broader range of vine crops, so stuff in the tomato family. Um, what's coming next is a lot more in the salads and leafy green area. And then we do have some very exciting research being done in other areas that impact other players in the industry. I can't talk too much in detail about it, but what I can say is when we look at it, we don't only look at can we support the end customer, but if there's a cow uh, that's being reared here uh, for dairy, where is he getting their feed from? You know, fodder growing is very water intensive. And when we legally, we can no longer grow it here because of that water intensity. How can we make this food system resilient, not just in the end consumer, but across the value chain? And how can we help the entire ecosystem? And I think when it comes to education, what's most important, and it's not limiting the product range that we ask students or we encourage them or our partners to grow, but rather to teach them the process and the method with which to decide and how to grow and leave them room for that creativity. Talking about uh, this current pandemic, uh, what effects uh, and what is the impact uh, on your business? You know, it's, um, I, I think firstly, it's just uh, psychologically speaking, um, to have this kind of shock to the system, to have business as usual, kind of not only temporarily, but thinking about long term, what does business as usual mean uh, is something that not only us, but everybody is kind of grappling with. And I think the, the, the people that are going to come out and the companies that are going to come out on the other end of this are those that kind of balance our short-term needs rapidly, but also with a much more creative long-term approach because um, there's a lot of opportunity here. As I previously said, we were doing this for years without really people being focused on it. And that right now, every single eye is focused. Everybody, if there was a willingness to help before, that willingness is tenfold now. And for us, it's actually provided an opportunity to have some incredible conversations and really think about us as Medar, 
how how can we help build a more resilient system as fast as possible um, in response to this? Because unfortunately, we don't believe that this is a one-off situation. Life as we know it has changed. And once we accept that, we can start thinking about how can we mitigate these future shocks. And so for us, just as an example, um, we used to sell to hotels, restaurants, and cafes. Um, obviously, that in market has disappeared overnight uh, with this lockdown. And so we rapidly changed and started offering direct to customers. And to be honest, that was a blessing for us because we managed to open up a whole new communication channel and we're launching a lot of new products uh, coming up over the next few weeks. And um, it's forced us to kind of move a lot faster, but also think much larger picture than we even were before in response to this. You know, the funny thing is, in terms of our growing and everything, nothing has actually changed since COVID for us, except we're on a 24-hour shift to split the shifts up. Um, because when you come in, you still have to wash your feet, um, your shoes. you got to put your shoe kind of covers on. We've got, you know, top-to-bottom kind of lab coats, your gloves, your Purell. Um, we're HACCP certified. It's uh, it's more like a hospital and uh, industry than it is a farm. And so you can come anytime you want. And we've even got windows outside if you you know, if you're afraid of the hydroponics and the touching of the water. And we also have an inbound location at Mustar. So next to our R&D facility, we, we uh, helped design a, uh, an eco-home called Bustani. And what we've done is we've uh, put there uh, a number, almost 15 different agritech solutions, uh, whether that's growing uh, vegetables indoors, whether that is growing insect-based protein, or whether that's having chickens and eggs in your background backyard. So... Anytime you want, and please bring uh, the kids because we do a lot of kids programming as well. Fantastic. Can't wait to come. And um, if someone wanted to order some uh, fruits and vegetables from you right now, where should they go? Best place is to go on our website. And we've got a number of different options available, whether that's through our partners, um, but you can get it delivered straight to home. And you can always reach out to us on our social media at Madar Farms. We're on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, and we'll get back to you fast. And for you, Tatiana, we'll send you a sample box at home so you can make the rest of the team jealous. <laughs> I'll share. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> you can find out more as well as order from Madar through their website, madarfarms.com as well as connect with them on social media at Madar Farms. You'll find the links on our show notes. I hope you're all continuing to stay safe. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Goombook, that's G-O-U-M-B-O-O-K, and find all of our episodes for free in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or on the web at goombook.com slash podcast. Thank you, and see you next week.